0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of our Magical Medical Tour with our incredible medical guide, Dr. Glenn Wollman. Hello, Glenn.
1: Hello, Christina, and hello, Sokovia, and greetings to everyone today. Welcome to the Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your medical guide as we travel through the healthcare galaxy. We will be searching each week, looking for ways to achieve optimal health. Today, today I was thinking about the Constitution of the United States, and in the very first sentence, there's a phrase that says, "In order to perform, in order to form, a more perfect union." And I always think of those words, forming a more perfect, something more than perfect, union. And my guest today. Embodies that in my mind. We look in healthcare today, many of the healers practice connections between body, mind, and spirit. And we try to link them for our purposes of our own healing and for the healings of our patients and clients. My special guest today has done more than try and make the connection. She has gone the extended limits in each of these paths, and it's her journey today that we will go on. I would like to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Dr. Radley Weininger. Welcome, Radley.
2: Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Hello, Radley. Nice to. It's an honor to have you with
2: us. Hello, Christina.
1: So, Radley, normally as the medical guide for this show, I like to tell my special guest, and for the sake of all listening, the path that I'm choosing today. And what we will do is, instead of our normal format of just asking you specific questions about a specialty, I think it's your journey that is important in the message that I want to come to today. And so we will go on your journey, starting with all of your training, and then we will look at your healing uh, for yourself, if you would like to share that with us, and we will look at how you heal others. And at the end, if we have some time, we'll look at some special ways that you've tied it all together between body, mind, and spirit. So at the beginning, you decided to go to medical school. That's correct. Why did you choose medical school?
2: Well, I think for... um Two main reasons. One is I come from a medical family, generations of doctors. My mother was a doctor, and I grew up with her. And basically, our, her practice was in our house in Germany, in Düsseldorf. And so from age 11 on, I was, you know, the assistant, you might say. And, um, but I think mainly it was I really liked people. And I liked helping people. And so from whenever I can remember, I worked in hospitals. I had for years, maybe from 17, on a job in an old people's home on a hospice ward. And I worked there for five years. And um, so going into medicine was quite uh, natural to me. You know, the science part was a little bit, um, how would you say, not totally in, um, intuitive to me. But I always like healing and I like people.
1: You you took a little time off in medical school, which most of us don't do. We Most of us, once we get in there, it, it's so daunting with so much to learn that we want to make it move as quickly as possible. Uh, but you took some time off for another part of, of your healing process. Share that with us for a moment.
2: All right. Um, after two years, you know, in Germany, it's six years pre-med and med together. So after two years, I got quite sick. And um, in a way, it became so daunting that I, I felt I had to take some time off. So I went with my boyfriend and we went to Sri Lanka where then many European medical folks went to learn acupuncture. But what really interested me there was uh, Buddhism. I went to these Dagobas stupas and I loved them. And I came across this wonderful old um, monk who basically guided me on, on the right way and i ended up uh, in a monastery there where i stayed for quite a while i can and tell when you, you say, much, uh, yeah
1: mm-hmm. i'm i'm sorry uh, when you say quite a while give us a, a an actual idea of quite a while because quite a while to some of us may be a week
2: well okay um The first person I met was in Sri Lanka through quite a coincidence. I went down this uh, rainy road and there was this monastery. It said International Buddhist Center. And I rang this bell and this monk opened the door and he said, what do you want? And I said, I don't know. And he said, that's very good. And so I followed him and there was this very, very old monk sitting in this basement room And he said, what do you want? And he said, "Um, why are you here? And I said, I don't know. I want to learn. And he said, come every morning at 9.15. And I found out later that he was a very famous monk. So for a while, a few weeks, I came every morning at 9.15. And then he uh, guided me to um, a forest hermitage where I stayed for two months basically one 10 day retreat after the next and um there I stayed until my visa went out and i had to leave the country for india but i was there in this monastery for uh for two months
1: beautiful so you eventually made your way back and finished medical school correct
2: yes i did um and um but I never stopped um my meditation practice. I really so, was quite so... hmm? Yes.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead, please.
2: I was quite an avid meditator then. So it was very much you might say aura et labora, pray and work. And um so yes, I finished medical school actually much easier after that. I was much <laughs> healthier and recovered. Mm-hmm.
1: Very nice. Uh, I'm curious, and maybe we'll have a chance later to find out why so many European medical students make their way to Sri Lanka in between their training. But so you finished medical school and that gave you a, an understanding and starting connections to the body. Uh, when we learn in medical school, we learn about anatomy and we learn physiology and biochemistry and histology. We learn about how things go wrong with the body and how we can treat them. But you had an opportunity now to go into some type of a specialty, surgery or pediatrics or something, uh, but you did not You did not choose that path. When you finished medical school, where did you take your internship and what did you decide to practice as your specialty?
2: Well, I uh, did... Part of my internship, but I, as my internship, I took gynecology obstetrics. But I had the uh, vision, and I had a friend who was a doctor in, in Dusseldorf who practiced side-by-side uh, gynecology obstetrics and psychotherapy because he felt so many women who came needed really both. And um, so that was then my dream, to do that. So I finished my internship. And uh, actually, I did a few months of that at Rancho Los Amigos Hospital in Downey, uh, close to Los Angeles area. and But then I didn't finish my specialty. That's when I came to America.
1: And you decided to go into a completely other branch of medicine, medicine of the mind, I understand, right?
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: When you were in medical school, you had a chance to continue to study the mind by going into psychiatry. What made you choose uh, psychotherapy and psychology rather than psychiatry?
2: Well, that's interesting, when I was in Germany, I got several offers uh, for residencies, internships, and some of them were in psychiatry, so I was very torn between gynecology and psychiatry. And when I came to the States, you know, as a foreigner, you had to repeat the uh, all kinds of words, FMG, EMS, and, and FLEX, which takes a long time. And so I was really wondering whether I should get my medical degree back or go into psychology. And then I realized that um, in a way, as a psychologist, I probably could even do more of what I wanted to do. I was really less um, attracted to the technical side of medicine and to pharmacology. I think it's very necessary and I totally support it, but um, I just didn't feel as attracted to it. I really felt more attracted to the interpersonal contact. And... Uh, and I really wanted to learn psychotherapy well. And so that's why I um, got my PhD in clinical psychology, which after medical school, I actually was able to do quite quickly.
1: So now you're, you are on three paths, as I see it. You're on the path of the medical school and medicine with the body, the path of the mind with your uh, therapy and psychology, And you're also on the path of spirit with your uh, training in meditation, correct?
2: Yeah, I would say uh, the body path is more in the background now. I think uh, what I learned in medical school and internship always will be with me, making a clear differential diagnosis, having my knowledge, which isn't totally up to date anymore. But still, I, I know about the body, and then in the foreground there is uh more the psychotherapy and also meditation teaching.
1: Now this this turns into something that you're doing clearly when people go on uh, journeys like this a lot of it is about your own healing but you've chosen not just to take care of your own healing but you also look to take care of other people. So how do you coordinate all of the knowledge that you have and the continuing knowledge into, let's take the first part, let's take it into people that are healthy. When you have people that you're taking care of or that you work with that are healthy, what do you bring into the whole process to help keep them healthy?
2: Um. What do you mean with healthy? My, most people who come to me have some sort of pain. You know, I think pain is what breaks the shell that encloses our ego, as uh, Khalil Gibran says. And um, I, I think that some awareness of pain, may, may it be existential, physical, uh, emotional, pain about the world is something that, that motivates us. That makes us want to look beyond. So, um, but um, your question is, how do I recommend people to stay healthy? So I think one is um, a side-by-side practice um, of an ongoing uh, practice, you know, like meditation, yoga um I think we need an ongoing practice, whether we are on whatever continuum of health we are on. And then we need um, something we can use in the moment when we need it to have more equanimity, be more heartfelt and to be more skillful. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, of course it does. when you talk with people, and sometimes when I say uh, healthy people, a lot of times the people come to you when they do have a problem, but when you fix the problem, then they're healthy again. So I was really looking for once they get healthy again, how do they uh, – a maintenance program, so to speak. And when you, and when you speak about uh, a, a daily practice – You found that mindful meditation was that daily practice. Why do you connect the mindful meditation with healing from injury or illness?
2: Uh, For several reasons. I think uh, first, uh, mindful meditation brings our mind and body back into its natural state into a state where we don't agitate where we don't obsess where we are less uh, distracted and and pained you know where we have a place where we connect back to um, to our natural state which i believe is a sense of equanimity a sense of well-being and i guess that was for me when i started meditating in a way, the surprise. When I was just sitting on my cushion long enough, then the clouds would pass by and there would be the sky. There would be underlying the sense of, of health, of wellness. So if I can teach people to come to this place when, uh, you know, the superficial debris settles down and underneath is the sense of, wellness of peace of equanimity then um it is incredibly um refreshing it's incredibly recovering really and uh i think it's a great resource it doesn't cost anything it's somewhere something we all can tap into all the time so in terms of my clients that now are healthy or healthier You might say there are actually quite a few because besides my psychotherapy practice, I have two uh, weekly meditation evenings and I teach quite a bit at a local retreat center. So many of my past clients come to these meditation meetings. And also I um, teach working with dreams as a spiritual path, as a partly Jungian, partly spiritual path. So quite a few of my clients that are healthy now come uh, to the dream group, which now goes on for many years. And actually we start the dream group with a half hour of meditation.
1: Wow. That's interesting. Uh, Do you actually dream in the group?
2: Well, they bring in a dream, which we then work with, uh, with um, a method, which is called embodied imagination developed by Robbie Bosnak. And by Steve Eisenstadt, which is a very experiential um, Jungian way of working with dreams. And um, I just find that work uh, the Eastern way is very much working with process, you know with the process of our emotions, thoughts, sensations passing by, and learning not to grab them. And the Western way is more looking at those images and really embodying them and in a way the wind the uh, the mirror that the images give us turn into a window and we can uh, connect with something um, some wisdom that is always there within or beyond
1: you mentioned uh, Robbie Boznak he was on the uh Last Yoga Hub World Conference okay. talking about sleep and dreams and the embodiment. So I recommend that anybody that wants to hear some of his talks uh, go back to the conference, the Yoga Hub Conference. So, so now we move uh, from people that are healthy. Let's talk about people that are sick. As you said before, most of the clients that you have come in have some problem. And many of those clients are already being treated by someone else and maybe on medications, Uh, even psychiatric antidepressant. We're seeing so many people on anti anxiety medications, antidepressant medications, all to uh, work on the biochemistry of the brain neurotransmitters. So you have to take care of these people that are on those. How do you see that there's a difference in reaching? to people into their minds that are on these medications versus people that are off these medications? That's my first question. And my second question will be, do you try and get them off these medications?
2: Okay, um, I would say that is really case by case. And I wouldn't put all the medications into the same box you know, I think um there's a real difference between anti anxiety medications which can really sedate people, and antidepressant medications, which for some people are quite necessary. I mean I think that uh, um some people who were having quite wounding childhoods, it is it's almost as if their neurotransmitter balances are set lower and their skin is thinner and sometimes quite unbearable. And so I can even see how um, at times um, anti- some level of antidepressants and meditation and psychotherapy can work um, synergistically. And, you know, sometimes um, people then can get off these meditations Uh, medications as they have an ongoing practice. But uh, I don't have like one fits all kind of stance. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Do you see meditation as a medication?
2: Well, um, you know, um, studies show that... um, in a way, ongoing practice of meditation has a similar and synergistic effect with, let's say, antidepressants. You know, I think similar neurotransmitters might be affected. Also, we find that with ongoing practice of uh, meditation, there are uh, changes in neural pathways. So the mind can change the brain over a period of time. And let's say if people are so, um, let's say, agitated and wounded that it's hard for them to even work in therapy or um, to focus on meditation, sometimes a little bit of antidepressants can help them to be able to make use of meditation uh, or psychotherapy. So I think we really have to look at the individual person.
1: When you And I
2: don't want to medicate everybody. That's not what I want to do. But I do see that in some cases, when people are so wounded and so raw that they can't even sit still, then some very low level of antidepressants help.
1: They have to re- be able to receive messages from the healers, and if they're so agitated or uh, anxious that they can't even receive the messages, sometimes I agree with you. They they have to at least be able to be settled enough so that they can even recognize potentially that there is a message coming in, and exactly. uh, th- th- mm-hmm. yeah, and that does help. Uh, you you talk about meditation, and many people that hear the word meditation. Uh, related to uh, Buddhism. And so I know that there are people that would like to meditate, but they're not interested in studying a new religion or a philosophy or something like that. We, we're learning more and more that meditation is a process of, of mindfulness for those of us that don't want to go off into other worlds for different purposes, but even just for the sake of being able to calm down, lower blood pressure, change pulse rate, uh, and work on the neurotransmitters. Do you have a thought about that?
2: Uh, Yeah, you know, um, I think people start in many, many different places, and that is how many people start, because there is a strong relaxation response. Meditation has shown to Decrease depression anxiety symptoms of OCD obsessive compulsive disorder of rumination so um, even of cholesterol and um, PSA levels you know my, there's a wonderful book by Shana Shapiro about that um, so that that is fine however I think sometimes that's how people start and it's not about Buddhism per se, because Buddhism um, in a way isn't even a religion. It's a religion for some people, let's say for Tibetans, for Shinto, Buddhists in Japan, for you know for different cultural groups, and for some people here. but it can be um, a mystical discipline to have a direct experience of the numinous. Of the sacred and I think that's probably what it is for me then it can be um, to have better relationships you know so sometimes there comes a certain ethics of non harming in and this ethics is not to appease a God or to stay with scriptures but it is more like do you want to have it easy or hard do you want to be peaceful well it's like my teacher Jack Cornfield says it's hard to have a good night's sleep after a day of killing and spe- and stealing you know so a certain ethics of non-harming is actually conducive to have um to be peaceful inside and uh, and then for some people it might just be lowering their blood pressure so and some people that's where they start but then they become interested in maybe questions of meaning and purpose, which, again, doesn't have to be uh, religious. Or they want to have an authentic experience of, um, uh, um, let's say, um, of the sacred, the numinous, or of a sense of interconnectedness and change, again, which doesn't have to be religious.
1: I could see how good it would be to be in your meditation classes. I'm almost meditating meditating as I'm listening to you. I I know I want to go back to uh, another part. We talked about people that are healed and people that need healing. I know that when you came back from uh, Sri Lanka to finish your medical training uh, uh, with all of this beginning wisdom, it wasn't received that uh, happily by most of your peers or teachers uh, the way that you were seeing uh, medicine. So I'm wondering if after a certain amount of time now you would have a message for the people in the, the medical students of today that are training uh, in, in relationship to a difference between how you were Received When you came back with the concepts of the meditation and mindfulnesses and connections of the body, mind and spirit, how would you talk to medical students today if you were asked to speak to them?
2: Well, I would say first that I think it really helped me to uh, finish medical school Um, for some reasons. I think I was a lot less anxious and... um, and nervous, so I would have in the mornings my hour of meditation, and I felt I could just handle the the daily work in the hospital, at the university, in internship, just so much better. I had just more evenness of or equanimity, and uh, a sense of um, recovering. So I think just for me, it was uh, it was just black and white. I was very unhappy medical student before that, and I was quite a content medical student afterwards. Um, that was one thing. Also, something quite interesting, because I always struggled with meaning, and sometimes medical school, working in hospital was too uh, technical, too materialistic for me, too little client-centered, and I always suffered from that. And... Um, for me, it was more like then it became in a way like um, being in medical school, working for the greater good. It was less personal. It was less about me and more about uh, something greater. And having it be less about me was really a relief because um, that uh, self-referencing can be uh, quite a burden. And also less, uh, am I good enough, am I not good enough, how do I compare? So it was more about I do the best I can and, and that is the best and I have to trust that in, in a much bigger context. So it was a huge um, relief for me to be a medical student, intern and having, and having that background. And I think nowadays it's actually more and more uh, accepted. It's like the hundredth monkey jumped. And uh, now um, I was actually voted. um, I got an award from the Santa Barbara Psychological Association a few weeks ago, uh, the Year Achievement Award for Mindfulness. And psychologists can be very conservative. So I was surprised. And I give yearly... um, a talk at Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital, Psychiatric grands Rounds. And often there are 200, 250 people. I don't know where people come from. And I see it being really less about me, but about times have changed. And when I go now to retreats to Spirit Walk Meditation Center in San Francisco, in Marin, lots of medical students come and young stockbrokers and all kinds of people. You know, I started 30 years ago in 1981, so times have really changed. And it's evidence-based now. I think medicine is very much into evidence-based and because of neurophysiology and all the research that has been done by Shana Shapiro and others, Richie Davidson It's now evidence-based. My husband and I had two years ago an article in JAMA Medicine uh, where mindfulness was um, a big part of it. And that article was about uh, caring for caregivers and end-of-life care. You can look it up. And and we have written three book chapters for medical uh, practitioners since then. So I think uh, it's perfectly safe now to say you are into mindfulness meditation.
1: Christina, do you have any thoughts today?
0: I think I have so many. I don't think. I know I have so many. <laughs> I think it's, it's time to uh, move Radalee over to my show tomorrow. <laughs> She's just delved into a whole other area away from medicine here. Um, because on Wednesdays, I host a, a show called uh, The Trinity of Life. And oh. uh, it is about supporting people in all three areas of life, which I consider the childhood, which is the foundation, and then adulthood, and the final stage, which I call the wisdom keepers. And the right now, as you speak of meditation, you speak of um caring for the caregivers, you know, the end of life. Those are all right within my realm. <laughs> so it's very exciting to me. <laughs> but staying on, on track of, of the work that you're doing right now, I, I think it's magnificent and it's so... It's so... Uh, how, how, I don't know how to say this. I, it's, it's beyond wonderful to hear how you're integrating the meditation with helping people create balance in their life. Um, A question that I have, when you say, when people come to you, Radley, are they physically imbalanced or both mentally? I mean, they go together. I I understand that. But Um. would it be, um, for example, when someone thinks of going to a psychotherapist, they think that, you know, they, they, in, I know I envision is, is like a therapist. I'm coming in and I'm having counseling with a therapist. But what I'm hearing that you do is that because of your medical background um, and your knowledge in the medical background that you're able to assess people who might be going through some, some traumas as in dealing with things like cancer or MS to help them find balance in all the levels?
2: Um, yes, you know, I I want to stay clearly within the bounds of my license. So I I wouldn't interfere with medical practitioners, um, and wouldn't make recommendations about medication and things Mm -hmm. like that because I, I don't have that license here in the States. But uh, because of my background, I get quite a few referrals uh, with people who have um, uh, physical problems. Like recently, an um, internist sent me uh, this older gentleman who really was not into meditation, but he couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we actually did work on meditation and on few dreams and he was able to sleep again. It was quite wonderful. He had to look at a few things in his life, and he learned to relax and to, you know, find closure. And I think he was 85. It was was really quite wonderful. And I do work with uh, quite a few people who have um, MS or um, weight issues or... Um, uh, problems with their bowels psychosomatic problems um, definitely
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I see that a lot and I think the mind and the body they're just so interconnected
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's wonderful because i I would think uh, I mean for example I mean if if I were dealing with something that is quite severe it's um, it's so wonderful to be able to know that to come to you, that you do have the the medical knowledge and the medical background, you know, of course, uh, you know, it's uh, respectfully so that, that you're not, you know, as, as you say, prescribing any medications, but to know that if I spoke to you about what I'm, medications I'm taking, that you would still have some knowledge of what is going through my system and might be causing certain effects that might be coming through on on the other side, which is, you know, uh, my own stability and and the direction I'm going. It's very exciting work that you're doing right now. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Yes, of course, thank you from all of us. Uh, I have a question about consciousness, which I like to ask a number of my guests, and I think you would be a really good one to talk about since you can understand it on so many levels. How do you relate the practice of consciousness and mindfulness to healing?
2: Well, when I think of consciousness, or I think um, many people use the word awareness, I think they're used almost interchangeably, um, two things come to mind. Um, in, in, in a more Buddhist understanding, uh, consciousness is used in two ways. Um, my teacher, Jack Hornfield says it's like um, the particle and the wave aspect of light. So there is a field and aspect to consciousness or awareness. Everything is basically awareness. It's awareness as um, vibration. It's uh, just awareness with different density. And uh, in this awareness all um, information, wisdom is, is held. And if we just um, calm down and settle down and kind of get into the flow with this field of awareness, if we rest in awareness, so to speak, then we have access to um, the, uh, the wisdom in it and uh, the, the healing in it. And then I can also see consciousness or awareness as a momentary awareness, as Jack Kornfield says, or Alan Wallace, my other teacher, calls it flashlight awareness, which is um, a more in the moment, more directed way of awareness of being present, of being in the present moment. And I think one of the things that is so healing in this momentary awareness of being present and awake is that in that moment, we see clearly, we comprehend clearly, and we are neither in the past or in the future. We are neither ruminating or planning or fretting or distracted. We are just present. We are here. And then it's it's like a gateway. You know, it's like a portal. The present moment is the portal to to the
1: everything. Wow, that's great to think about that way. I don't know if I ever thought of the present moment as a portal. I, I think I was always too busy trying to be in the present moment to <laughs> think that I would go anywhere with it. I always uh, ask my guests if if within their experience they have some kind of a health tip for all of our listeners, something that you've gained through your own personal wisdom path. So do you have something you could share with us today?
2: Yeah, um, I personally um, suffer from, since a, a childhood illness, from actually from many bouts of bronchitis and asthma and basically just... Uh, um, you know my lung always has been a challenge and so I've been working with this and you know sometimes I need western treatment when I have a really bad bronchitis or walking pneumonia I need antibiotics but also what really helps me is an ongoing practice of meditation so when I get tight which I often feel in my airways I relax and I come to this present moment, gateway to the everything. And I just feel my airways relaxing or I feel the debris that keep me from relaxing what have me kept agitated. And um, the other way that I also use in tandem is uh, dream work. Very often in our symptoms, there is a lot of information about... Um, about the illness and about what can help us so i use that in tandem you know like in the moment dream work or psychotherapy and an ongoing practice and uh, that's what i can really recommend as an ongoing health tip have your ongoing practice awareness practice uh, where you come regularly into the healing of the present moment of mindfulness and then um, as you need it um, look at uh, the symptom in a more western way via psychotherapy via uh, dream work or recently i'm working more with um, a program i developed cultivating emotional balance through mindfulness which helps us to develop an ongoing practice, but also with what I call an emotional awareness worksheet to look when we get triggered and see what emotions, sensations are triggered, what old stuff from the past gets triggered, what urges to fix it, and how that leads us often into reactive behavior. And to learn to bring awareness to that and through developing an individually customized mindful pause, to learn to uh, have a different track towards a more um, a greater perspective and a more aware and skillful way of dealing sometimes with tricky situations.
1: Ah. And, th- and there's no expense to that, is there? And I think it's probably covered by all insurance companies to just so. be mindful. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. People always worry when we talk about medications, uh, whether it would be covered under their insurance. And I believe that meditation, we don't have to worry about that. Speaking of that for a moment, one more question that comes to my mind. You just went away on a... Silent Retreat. And I'm curious about what the silence does for the retreat and for the meditation that uh, isn't found in other ways. Can you give us a moment of that?
2: Yeah, I think um, mindfulness for me personally, uh, to have moments of mindfulness for years ago for two 10-day retreats A year and this year I did a four-week silent retreat it really confronts me with myself and it first it gives me a chance to calm down to have because often I'm so distracted I'm not even present with myself and then in those four weeks I really see not just what's superficially up for me but what are these deeper patterns that are reoccurring in my life over and over again. And I don't see that if I'm too busy and too distracted. So it's a real inventory. And uh, I call it like mental flossing, (laughs) you know, like making my mind uh, kind of a, a cleanup period. And also the silence gives me the chance to tap into this field of awareness, which is basically like the sky behind the clouds. And it takes a while for the clouds to pass and uh, for us to see and be with and rest in the sky. And um, so I find, for me, silence It's just, um, I I need it. I need it periodically. Otherwise, I just get too carried away and distracted and and entangled in in the world. However, I want to say, whatever I do as my spiritual practice, I want to bring back into the world. I'm very much with Joanna Macy, who says, um, you know, a spiritual practice Is really just worthwhile if it's good for the world. This famous psychologist, uh, Jack Engler, said, if you want to really see how well your practice is going, don't look inside. Look how compassionate you are with the world. And I I agree with him.
1: Beautiful answer. Christina?
0: I'm just taking a breath, Glenn.
1: I think we all are. The key would be if Segovia is also taking a breath.
0: (laughs) And Schnooks. And Schnooks.
1: You have to explain who Schnooks is to the rest of the people.
0: Well, I, I I think uh, they're (laughs) Schnooks. He's the therapy dog. I love him. (laughs) He's
2: the true wise man here. (laughs) Yes. The, the Zen
0: dog that we're adding to this program. <laughs> Is that
1: going to be on your Trinity program also?
0: I, I guess, yeah. You know, <laughs> animals, they're, they're just the most blessed beings, aren't they? They teach us so much like children do.
2: <laughs> Actually, recently, there are a few studies that came out that uh, pets in therapy decrease stress and improve all kinds of measures like increased immunity and this and that. So it's totally on vogue. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do you do you do uh lead retreats yourself? Yes, I do. Um I uh I'm very fortunate that uh I'm the resident meditation teacher at La Casa de Maria in Santa Barbara. And so I'm doing I'm leading their weekly meditation which is free and open to the public, and I lead another one here on Tuesdays at the Museum of Natural History. But uh, basically, almost, uh, well, once or twice a month, I'm leading a day-long or a half-day or a weekend at La Casa de Maria um, in in Santa Barbara. And, uh, you know, I have teenage kids, so I've not been traveling so much, but I also have been teaching at Asselin and at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, and you know, open to travel more as uh, as my children um,
0: grow up. That's lovely. So, um, and during your meditations, are they uh, are the form of it? Are there, is everyone sitting, or are do you have walking meditations? with movement for those
2: who can't sit still? Well, the way I do it, uh, the format, and uh, with the format, I learned a lot from my teacher, Alan Wallace, who who is a great meditation teacher. Um, I start with a 15 minute, sometimes 20 minute talk, you know, like instructions or a bit of philosophy, uh, some, some thoughts that are helpful which also gives people a chance to come in late if they if they need to. Uh, and then we do 25-minute carefully guided meditation. And I really believe in carefully guiding meditations for most of us because um, I just realized when I just let people sit there for 40 minutes or so, many leave. It's basically for uh, the ones that already are converted to the choir, you might say. And so I realized once, uh, since I very carefully guide meditations, um, people bring their friends. They come back and bring their friends. And then I also um, do a 15, 20-minute um um, what is called metta or loving kindness or compassion meditation? Because um, with Jack Cornfield, I agree that we need to both in tandem develop wisdom and compassion. Um, also, you mentioned for those people who can't sit still. I learned from Alan Wallace that it's quite all right for people to lie down. So people bring their yoga mats. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of them. I I have a lot of back problems. And I often like to lie down meditating. And it's important to kind of cue yourself to know that um, lying down is a meditation position. It's not sleeping. It's not being drowsy. It's not snoozing off, even though that might happen once or twice in the beginning. But you can actually train yourself to lie down and and be perfectly awake and present. And some people sit on chairs, some people sit on cushions. I find that um, being uh, comfortable is really important. We don't do walking meditation during that time, but I do teach people also walking meditation. And we do that during the longer retreats. Mm -hmm. Lovely, thank you.
0: Oh, I'm ready for the retreat, aren't you, Glenn?
1: Uh, Well, yes, of course. But uh, it would be so hard for me to be silent with uh, Radley. I have so many questions, and I would want answers. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want to uh, say, why are you here? And I would say, I don't know. I want to (laughs) ask questions. (laughs) Well, no there's a time for
2: everything.
0: Oh, this is lovely. Thank you so much, Radley.
2: It was lovely to to talk to you too. I wish I could see you. <laughs> well, yes. Hof-
0: hopefully we can we will be able to do that in the near future as we uh, increase uh, momentum in the systems. You know, the cyberspace, the virtual space is uh, becoming quite a platform now for everyone to communicate. And uh, the next thing you know, you'll be teaching your meditations like this.
2: I actually do that. I teach a, a large group of um, people in healthcare and end of life care through the Sacred Art of Living, Anamkara um, Institute. And uh, there I teach meditation over Webex, so yeah, it seems it's happening. I still like to see people though in a room together and, yes. and feel, feel the atmosphere, but it's quite surprising what, um, what can be done over the computer.
0: Yes, I mean, soon you, we will be able to see more and more people, um, but it, it is different, I agree with you. I, I love being in a room full of people and being able to feel the energies. Shifting in the room
2: Do you sometimes give people the chance to lead a little meditation during your? Talks or is that not really part of your format?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes if if uh, if they so choose some there are some people who like to actually uh, before before the talks begin they actually do a little meditation to settle everyone and, and open um, the chakras and then they do their talk and then they like to close uh, so that an, like an integration meditation at the end So I know that huh? we did that through our uh, virtual world conference We open the day with a meditation and we close the day with a meditation as well So if you would like to do one right now, we would be very open to that Wouldn't we glad
2: oh, I would love to
0: if we could do a five-minute meditation. That would be lovely What do you okay, think? Glenn? <laughs>
1: I'm in silence.
0: He's in silence already. You're not allowed oh to you're not allowed to ask questions, Glenn.
2: <laughs> Only for five minutes. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's do it. I don't have my bell here, so you have to imagine the bell. Okay. Um find yourself a comfortable place. Find yourself a comfortable place, lying, sitting, on a chair, a cushion. Let yourself rest in the sensations of your body. Notice the touch between your body and the chair the ground. Notice the sensations in your body from your feet upwards. And just notice what's going on. You might notice especially your neck and shoulders. And if there's tension or tightness, let your shoulders relax with the exhale. Notice your face where we often hold a lot of tension. Let your jaw drop with the exhale. Muscles of your face relax. Eyes soften. Space between your eyebrows opening, and let your whole body be filled with presence, with awareness, with aliveness. From that vantage point, you might notice the very gentle, subtle movement of your breath. Following the natural breath, without controlling or making it. Letting the body breathe you. Letting breath breathe you. It should there be thoughts, feelings, sensations, just let them pass by like a leaf on a river going downstream, neither pushing away nor grabbing, just letting them float down the river. And always return to your refuge touchstone, the gentle movement of breath, breath breathing you, and hold yourself with an attitude of kindness, Extending warmth and tenderness out to yourself. Bearing with yourself with whatever comes up. Always returning to breath. And with each exhale letting go a little more. And again, let your whole body be filled with presence, with awareness, with luminosity, with quiet, with knowing, being present with yourself, being present with life. May the benefits of this meditation go out into the world and beyond.
0: Oh, I'm ready to open spring now.
1: I have tears in my eyes.
2: Thank you, Adelaide. That's beautiful. Mm. Thanks for giving me the chance. Thank you.
1: Well, I am completely grateful to my very special guest, Dr. Radley Weininger, for sharing not only her wisdom, but her personal journey with all of us today. I would also like to thank all of my teachers and all of those that have helped me in my healing. And I look forward to meeting again with all of you in the magical medical tour as we go through the healthcare galaxy looking for optimal health. And I wish all of you, until next week, optimal health.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much for blessing us today, Radaleigh. And we look forward to having you back on the shows. (laughs) I say shows.
2: (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very
0: much, both of you. Namaste.